Keep your proclamations of grandeur. Give me an Easter as small as a seed, one that can be planted while it's still cold outside, one that can be watered with tears and demands time and patience to grow. I don't need to know how large it will become, how long it blossoms, or even if it will be pretty. I only want it to grow roots that dig deep down, striving for life in the underbelly of the world. Spare me the cosmic promises of otherworldly escape and point me to the sacred possibilities within reach. Tell me again about how the nutrients born from decay keep even the saddest places brimming with potential for life. Well, these opening words by M. Barclay set the scene, set the tone for our Easter Sunday service here on Zoom this morning. Welcome to members of the congregation, to friends and to visitors who are here with us live today, and also to anyone who may be listening in later via the podcast or watching on YouTube at a later date. For those who don't know me, my name's Jane Blackhall. I've been part of this congregation for 22 years now, and I'm currently the ministry coordinator for the congregation and your ministry student on placement as part of my final year's training at Unitarian College. If you're here for the first time today, we're especially glad to have you with us. Welcome. I hope you find something of what you need this morning, maybe a bit of spiritual uplift or consolation. Please do hang around afterwards for a chat if you'd like, or drop us an email to introduce yourself. Or you might think about coming to one of our small group activities during the week. They're a good way to get to know the congregation more organically and, and have a chat more slowly. If you're a regular here though, thanks for all you do to welcome all those who come each week. Even on Zoom, we all play our part in co-creating this sacred space, this sense of community. So whoever you are, however you are, know that you are welcome in this space this morning, just as you are. As we always say, do feel free to do what you need to do to be comfortable. It's always lovely to see your faces in the gallery view and to get a sense of our togetherness, but we know for some it will feel more comfortable to keep your camera mostly off and that is just fine. Similarly, there'll be a few opportunities to join in as we go along, but there's no compulsion. You can quietly lurk with our blessing. You know how to find us if you want to say hello afterwards. In this morning's service, we'll be reflecting on the Easter story. As Unitarians, we'll each have our own particular perspective on Easter, indeed our own relationship, or not, to the Christian roots of our Unitarian tradition. So hopefully this morning's service will provide us place to explore what this powerful story means to you, set free from any fixed interpretation of its meaning. I've given this service the title, Still Here. For me, the Easter story speaks of human suffering and endurance, and what comes after what seems like a final defeat, when all seems lost, when we're utterly spent. But we find we're still here. So what comes next? Through words and music and silence, we'll search for those little seeds of hope that might still remain. But I'll light our chalice now, as we do each Sunday and at other times when we gather during the week. This simple ritual connects us with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over, and it reminds us of the historic and progressive religious tradition of which this gathering is part. We gather today to remember and relive the old, old story of death defeated by emptiness, of hope and newness triumphant over fear and separation. We come hearts heavy, perhaps, with pain and anxiety, spirits somewhat flattened by exhaustion and apathy, vision darkened by strife and injustice. Still we come seeking and sharing connection and love in this place of community. So may the old, old Easter story of hope and rebirth uplift our hearts and make us glad in the presence of each other's love and care. And may this little chalice flame be to us a symbol of the light we can hold on to, even in life's darkest hours. So 
So let's take a moment to think of all those joys and concerns we've heard expressed and to hold them and each other in a spirit of loving kindness and compassion as we move into an extended time of prayer and reflection. This prayer is based in part on the words of Unitarian Universalist Minister Liz Webber. As I always say, let's do what we need to do to get into the right state of body and mind to pray together now. Maybe shift your position, maybe intentionally adopt what is for you a prayerful posture. You might want to close your eyes or soften your gaze or look at the chalice flame. Whatever helps you get your heart in the right place to be fully present in this moment with yourself, each other and that larger presence which holds us all. Spirit of life, God of all love, in whom we live and move and have our being. As we turn our attention to the depths of this life, the cosmic mystery and wisdom that abides in all that is, we tune into your holy presence within us and amongst us. Spirit of life, help us to be present with all that is our life both our deepest sorrows and our greatest joys, so that we can truly live, engaging fully in our own life and in our community. Spirit of community, help us to know how linked we are, how each one of our cares touches us all. Help us to ask for support when we're in need, to offer our support to others when we are able so that we may rest in the solace of one another's love. Spirit of love, help us to love our neighbours as we love ourselves, so that we might fully embody love and resist hatred. Spirit of resistance, help us to stick up for what is right, even when we're tired or afraid. Help us to dream of the world as it should be and act to bring that world about. Help us to find hope each day. Spirit of hope, help us through this day and each day. Help us to be present for all that is our life. And in a quiet time of reflection now, let us look back with kind eyes over the week just past. Let us call to mind a few moments, however small they may seem, that brought some sense of uplift, consolation or even joy. Let us pray inwardly to give thanks for these everyday blessings. And let us also gently call to mind those moments in the last week we found hard going. Times when we felt uneasy, agitated or disheartened. Times when we made mistakes perhaps. Let us pray inwardly for the comfort, compassion or guidance we need to face those struggles. And widening our circle of concern, let us focus our prayer on those people and situations that are concerning us, whether close to home or far away. Those who are struggling with physical or emotional pain, with insufficient resources to meet their basic needs, with conflict and cruelty, oppression and injustice. Let us send our loving kindness wherever it is most needed this day.
Spirit of life, God of all love, we offer up our joys and concerns, our hopes and our fears, our beauty and our brokenness, and we call on you for insight, healing and renewal. As we look forward to the coming week, help us to live well each day and be our best selves, using our unique gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen. It's time now for our first hymn, an Easter hymn, Now the Green Blade Riseth. Um, this version is sung by our own Kensington congregation three years ago, so please forgive any coughing or rustling you can hear. We weren't expecting it to be broadcast at the time, time we recorded it. The words will appear on your screen so you can sing along, or you might prefer just to listen. It's a lovely, mournful tune. We'll do our best to make sure everyone stays muted so nobody will hear you if you do choice, choose to join in. Our hymn will be followed by an extended reflection on the Easter story written by the Unitarian Universalist Minister Kathleen McTeague and read for us by our own Anthony Bunsey. Resurrection by Kathleen McTeague. The Easter story, as told in the Gospel of John, revolves around the experience of one person, Mary Magdalene. It's Mary who gets up before dawn on the day of the Jewish Sabbath and goes alone to visit the tomb. Her beloved teacher has died a horrible death, and it was only by an unexpected generosity of a wealthy man that Jesus was given the small, late dignity of a real burial place instead of a pauper's grave. Because of the Sabbath, his body had not been cleaned according to tradition, and Mary set out early with her herbs in order to do the last grieving service. But when she got to the tomb, she found that the stone blocking its entrance had already been rolled away, and his body was gone. It's not hard to imagine her despair and anger at being robbed of even this last farewell. She ran to some of Jesus' other followers with the news, and they came back with her to see for themselves. They probably stood there for a while, arguing about what to do, but there was nothing to be done. Who would you complain to when you risked your life 
even admitted to the authorities that you had known him. Filled with the bitter realisation, they finally left again. But Mary stayed, alone and weeping. Maybe something defiant crept in with her grief and made her brave enough to stay. Then she caught a movement out of the corner of her eye and turned to find someone standing there. Why are you crying? he asked. Who are you looking for? Thinking he must be the gardener, she said, as carefully as she could, Sir, if you have carried his body away, tell me where you have put him and I'll take care of it. I won't tell anyone. I'll just take his body and clean him up so he can rest in peace. Then Jesus, because of course it was Jesus standing there, and she didn't recognize him. Jesus just called out her name, Mary. And then she knew, and she said back to him, Rabbi. For those of us who believe that Jesus was a human being like us, the idea of his literal resurrection from death is a leap of faith we can't quite make. We know that when our bodies die, they die. We belong to the earth. And it's comforting and right to know that we dissolve again into that sweetness. But we can believe in Mary's resurrection. When Mary heard her name called, suddenly her eyes were opened to a new reality. She was called out from the blindness of her grief and despair, and from within herself she found a new way to see and to understand what had happened to her. I take that Easter story as truth. It points to the moment in every life when something within us is called out, called forth, called to a deeper understanding of our world. Easter raises the question. In the bright opening of the earth, in this turning season when life is pouring out all around us, what will we bring forth within ourselves? It's a time that calls us to open our eyes in a new way to see not just what we expect to see, but perhaps some bright and mysterious truth we could not fathom before, something completely new and unexpected. We are a troubled tribe, we human beings. The unfolding story of our time on earth is clouded with pain and cruelty, with missed opportunities, unthinkable heedlessness and indifference. It's also marked by the bright notes of decency, kindness freedom and courage. Easter proclaims that we each have a part to play in how the story unfolds, if we are willing to wake up. We listen for what is calling to us, and like Mary, when we hear our name, we answer, rising anew to meet the life that will not stop calling our names. Thanks, Anthony. So we've come now to a time of quiet meditation. You might like to have a wiggle again. Rearrange yourself to get as comfortable as you can in your chair or on your bed or wherever you are. You might want to put your feet flat on the floor to help ground and steady yourself. Maybe close your eyes. There'll just be a few introductory words to lead into our time of meditation this morning. It's a short poem by Jan Richardson titled Blessing for the Broken Hearted. For me, one of the gifts of the Easter story is how it holds up a mirror to all our heartbreak. The pain, the loss, the disappointment and betrayal, the humiliations, the relentless struggle of living in a world that so often seems stacked against us and stacked against justice, our shared human condition. So I reckon this blessing for the broken hearted likely speaks to us all when we reflect on the sufferings we've known in life and perhaps the sufferings that some of us are feeling this very morning. These words will take us into a good few minutes of silence during which we'll put our chalice cam up on screen so you can watch the moving flame. And our musical meditation today is a real treat uh, from music from the Solwa Quartet. That's our own Abby Lerimier on the cello and her colleagues Ilan Benkalfa and Caroline Hurd on violin and Cameron Howe on viola playing the first movement of Fanny Hensel's quartet. It's a good four and a half minutes so you can really sink into it and enjoy. As we always say, these words, these images, this music for meditation, they're simply an offering. Feel free to use this time to think your own thoughts or meditate in your own way. So Jan Richardson's short poem opens with a quote from Henry David Thoreau. There is no remedy for love, 
but to love more. Let us agree for now that we will not say that breaking makes us stronger or that it's better to have this pain than to have done without this love. Let us promise we will not tell ourselves that time will heal the wound when every day our waking opens it anew. Perhaps for now it can be enough to simply marvel at the mystery of how a heart so broken can go on beating, as if it were made for precisely this, as if it knows the only cure for love is more of it, as if it sees the heart's sole remedy for breaking is to love still, as if it trusts that its own persistent pulse is the rhythm of a blessing we cannot begin to fathom, but will save us nonetheless.
That was beautiful. Thanks, Abby, for making that happen. I've got an extra reading for you this week. It's a powerful piece by Anna Bladel of Infleshed. It's on the challenging message of Holy Saturday and what they call the practice of remaining. In the Christian calendar, we're coming to the end of Holy Week, marking Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. Of these holy days, Holy Saturday will receive the least attention. It's an awkward day, one without clear rituals. It marks the liminal space between life and death, the ways both life and death are real and present. Holy Saturday calls us to confront the horrors in our internal, external worlds that haunt us. To face how empty and hollowed out we can feel, even while we know that the tomb too is empty. Holy Saturday is an uncomfortable day, inviting us to tend to the realities of the world that make us uncomfortable. It remains holy and it calls us to remain in the chaos and confusion of a world, a life that is overflowing with horror and wonder both, loss and gift both, beauty and brutality both, terror and tenderness both, crucifixion and resurrection both. On Good Friday, Jesus is crucified by empire, executed by the state. He's tortured by a system hell-bent on stoking fear, preserving power, responding to perceived threat with retaliation and retribution. Killed by people unwilling and unable to sit with pain and discomfort. How tempting it is for us too to rush to fix or resolve or numb our pain, pretend away our discomfort rather than learning to bear with it and bear witness. How tempting it is for us too to rush to healing without remaining in the work of repair, reparation, redemption. Bearing witness to what is, to the complexity, the pain and sorrow and despair that is real, to the possibility and healing and glory that is real too, that is a practice of remaining, remaining faithful, remaining with, resisting either or narratives of victory or defeat or triumph or despair and remaining with the both and realities of suffering and redemption and fear and flourishing. The call of Holy Saturday is to practice remaining, to remain with pain, bear witness to wounds, for these are practices of new life, practices opening new possibilities, practices of resurrection. Redemption is encountered not in victory over death, but through remaining with death in a way that honours both life and loss, gift and grief, fear and wonder. No easy answers, no quick fixes, no superficial platitudes. God meets us in deep, complicated and messy ways and places. When we remain, when we practice remaining in and with, bearing witness to the realities of crucifixion in our world, we prepare for and practice resurrection. We remain with the realities of trauma and terror and pain that we'd rather ignore or explain away. We bear witness to a power that opens possibilities we can't barely begin to imagine. We bear witness to a presence that persists in every season, every seasonal shift. We bear witness to a love that remains with us, in us and through us. A love that remains urgently needed in and through it all. Words by Anna Bladel. So I invite you to imagine as best you can, what it might have been like to be a follower of Jesus, one of his inner circle, in the week or so that led up to his death. Being a disciple was a big ask. You'd probably have had to make some serious sacrifices to commit yourself to following him. I can't help thinking of the hymn we used to sing at my Catholic secondary school. Follow me, follow me, leave your home and family, leave your fishing nets and boats along the shore. Something about this itinerant teacher, Jesus, his presence, his message, the promise of something more he seemed to offer, perhaps. His teachings about the kingdom of God, this realm of love and justice close at hand. 
This vision drew people to drop everything and follow. A few people anyway. And they joined him on the road. And as they did, a kind of momentum gathered. During the time of Roman rule, when people were under the thumb of empire, many were crying out for liberation of some sort of the other, for a hope of a better life than the one they had. And Jesus caught people's imagination. By Palm Sunday, you've got to say it was looking good. Jesus and his followers entered into Jerusalem, the seat of power, to a rapturous reception. But the hubbub around Jesus didn't go unnoticed by the authorities. It was a threat to order, a disturbance that might challenge the status quo. Within days, Jesus had gone to the temple and chased out the money changers, and the powers that be couldn't let this go unpunished. Jesus was arrested, paraded through the streets, humiliated and brutally executed by the state. Imagine being one of Jesus's followers, someone in his inner circle, as this horror story went down. The crucifixion was meant to put the frighteners on you, so most of his supporters scattered, went to ground, in fear of the consequences of being associated with him. Probably in fear of their own lives, of course they did, and most of us would have done the same. Just a few stayed to the bitter end and saw him tortured and killed in the most horrific way. If you were a follower of Jesus that day, his death must have felt like the end of the world. A crushing blow. He'd given up everything to follow him and the hope that he represented. And now he was dead. Hope was dead. The future you dared to dream of was swept away. Reality in that moment must have been unbearable. It was a catastrophe, the end of everything. The power of the Easter story is for me in the way in which it speaks to those moments of devastation in our own lives and how it speaks to the collective suffering of the human condition. You know that saying, we each have our own cross to bear. Every life has these moments, and often not fleeting moments, but long, hard seasons of suffering and hardship and devastation. Okay, most of us are not literally headed for crucifixion, but life seems to have an endless variety of ways to bring us suffering and torment, physical or emotional, at varying degrees of intensity and severity. And there's probably not much to be gained from comparing one person's suffering with another anyway. When you're in the midst of pain, when it feels like the end of the world, that is reality for you. Maybe each of us has a different threshold for what counts as catastrophe. Some of us are more stoic than others, but I doubt many of us have made it this far through life without having some experience of facing an unbearable reality and losing sight of all hope, at least for a while. End of the world moments in my own life include the sudden death of a loved one 13 years ago now, and the loss that came with it of the imagined future that I'd hoped we'd have together. Or, on a less personal, more political front, waking up to the news that an election had not gone the way I wanted, and feeling a real sense of devastation that we'd lost a chance to collectively choose a path of greater justice and equality. Or, and I guess this is one that most of us can relate to, the moment last March, when the full implications of the pandemic really began to sink in, that realisation that life as we knew it would be put on hold for a long, long time, and indeed that things might never be quite the same again. Each of these events, to different degrees of intensity, led to a period of devastating grief and disorientation. Now, as I shared those personal examples, memories of your own likely came to mind too, end of the world moments in your own life or in the lives of your loved ones. Perhaps you've known breakdowns in mental or physical health, traumatic relationship breakups, bereavements, losses of job or home. There are so many sources of suffering in the run of our everyday lives for no life is untouched by sorrow. But what happens after the end of the world? when the worst thing imaginable has happened, and then we wake up the next morning anyway, whether we especially want to or not, we're still here. We're in an unbearable reality which we never would have chosen, but which somehow we still have to live in. 
Well, in the immediate aftermath, it might come down to emotional first aid or self-care or community care. You might have to spend days or weeks or months just doing what it takes to get by. You might need to hunker down or take to your bed or use every self-soothing technique in the book. You might need to lean heavily on friends and family and wider systems of social support. Let's return to the Easter story, though, to see what else we might learn for it, for our darkest times. Because Jesus' disciples, too, they do wake up the next morning after this end of the world moment of his crucifixion. They wake up in a state of utter brokenness. They're still here, even if he's gone, and they're faced with the despairing question, what now? For Mary Magdalene, the worst imaginable thing has happened, the death of her beloved teacher. So what does she do? Well, first, she hunkers down. She waits in darkness as she observes the Sabbath. And then she does what needs to be done. Just puts one foot in front of the other. She sets out to perform the necessary burial rites. There's still work to be done in the name of love. She shows up for Jesus, devoted to him even in death, even after all hope is apparently lost. But when Mary gets to the tomb, she finds the stone has been rolled away and the body is gone. One more blow, just when she thought it couldn't get any worse. One final indignity. But as Kathleen McTeague says, Mary stayed alone and weeping. Maybe something defiant crept in with her grief that made her brave enough to stay. Mary is very much still here. Or to use Anna Bladel's term, Mary remains. She is fully present to reality in all its pain and sorrow. Then someone calls her name. And in that moment, she recognises that Jesus is still here too. You don't have to believe that Jesus was resurrected in body, temporarily reanimated after death, to believe that something of him lived on beyond his brief 30-odd years on earth. In the act of waiting, attending, remaining, bearing witness to the grim reality of the situation, a new vision came to Mary. The light, the love, the hope that Jesus brought to his disciples lived on. And that light, that love, that hope, so fragile and faltering in that moment, could be passed on. Mary ran to the other disciples and told them what she'd seen. And slowly, they caught on too. After Jesus' death, the end of the world, they were still here. So they took whatever tiny bit of light and love and hope they could muster and did all they could to nurture it in the world. In the weeks and months and years that followed, read the book of Acts if you want to know the details, the disciples spread out in that hostile environment of the Roman Empire. They spread out and they spread the word. They spoke of the kingdom of God, the realm of love and justice that was still, despite everything, at hand. Despite the crushing blow they had suffered, despite the end of the world. They had held fast to the vision of love and light and hope, that possibility of a world transfigured, which slowly spread across the globe and down the generations, evolving as it went and taking on different emphasis as it branched into different traditions, different lineages, including our own Unitarian way. Perhaps the Easter story, not so much the story of Jesus' resurrection, but the story of how Mary Magdalene and the disciples found a tiny seed of light and love and hope in their darkest hour. How they nurtured that tiny seed, even in the most inauspicious and hostile conditions. Maybe that's the example we need to look to when the worst happens in our own lives. We hunker down for a bit. We wait in darkness. We really bear witness to the awfulness of reality. And then we wake up again the next morning and find ourselves still here and ask, what now? Are there seeds of light and love and hope we can still find and nurture, no matter how tiny? Are we being called to share those seeds with others? Is there work that's uniquely ours to do? As Kathleen McTeague said, the unfolding story of our time on earth is clouded with pain and cruelty missed opportunities, unthinkable heedlessness and indifference. It is also marked by the bright notes of decency, kindness, freedom and courage. Easter proclaims that we each have a part to play in how the story unfolds if we are willing to wake up. Easter 
understood this way, doesn't offer us an extravagant kind of hope. It's pretty modest, quite humble, compared with most interpretations of the story. But for me, it feels more real, within reach. And after the year we've had, it feel all wrong to be exuberantly optimistic. So I'm going to conclude with an echo of those words from M. Barclay that opened our service this morning. Keep your proclamations of grandeur. Give me an Easter as small as a seed, one that can be planted while it's still cold outside, one that can be watered with tears and demands time and patience to grow. Spare me the cosmic promises of otherworldly escape and point me to the sacred possibilities within reach. Tell me again about how the nutrients born from decay keep even the saddest places brimming with potential for life. And may we each discover and nurture those tiny seeds of Easter hope in our own lives. Amen. Time for us to sing once again. Our second hymn is Give Thanks for Life, this time sung by the Unitarian Music Society with a proper church organ and all the alleluias and everything, the full works. So feel free to join in with singing this uplifting finale with gusto, or as ever, you can just listen along if you'd rather.
Just a few brief announcements now. Um, thank you to Janine for our ever expert hosting, Anthony for our reading and the Sawa Quartet for our lovely music. As ever, there are a number of opportunities to connect with the congregation in the week ahead. Coffee morning at half ten on Tuesday. Newcomers are always welcome. Heart and Soul tonight and Friday is on the theme of calling. A couple of spaces left. They're nearly full. So, uh, yeah, if you've never been before, get in touch if you want to know more. It's never too late to start. We have virtual coffee time after the service today to chat in small groups if you'd like. And if that's not your thing, as I said at the start of the service, feel free to get in touch by email if you'd like to introduce yourself. It's a bit harder to get to know people while our services are online. We'll be back next Sunday at 10 on Zoom. Uh, Sarah's taking the service next week on the theme of beauty all around. It'll be a celebration of beauty in the natural world and also in human creativity. Uh, Sarah asked me to ask you if anyone has photos that relate to that theme feel free to send them to her in the next few days so she can make a slideshow that will be part of next week's service and if you've not got her email you can always send it to me and I'll forward it on. I think that's all I need to tell you so we've just got our closing words and closing music now so I invite you to select gallery view if you can at this point so that we can get a sense of our community and connectedness as we close. Out of the earth rises light, rises life, rises spring. May we join with the miracle that is springtime and enter into life with lightness and joy. Out of the spirit rises faith, rises hope, rises love. May we join with the miracle that is Easter and enter into life with hope and love. And in the days that come, whatever they may bring, May we indeed give thanks for life, for we are still here. And each fresh morning brings us another chance to share our gifts for the greater good of all. Amen.